0: Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation podcast. This is a brand new episode of your favorite Mizzou basketball podcast, Dive Cuts, right? Everyone loves to talk Mizzou hoops these days. Uh, we are on season five. This is episode 14. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, Matthew J. Harris. It is after Christmas, before New Year's. We have just watched Mizzou. Get decimated by Illinois in the Bragg and Rights game. Had a nice little Christmas. Uh, Mizzou also lost their, their bowl game to Army. Uh, and now, Consul Martin has tested COVID uh, or positive for COVID. Excuse me. Uh, so, with that said, Matt, how are you? Um,
1: <laughs> I'm currently better than all those parties you mentioned. So it's all relative. Like I, I had a very lovely Christmas with family. I uh, got some good gifts, got to spend some quality time with my nephews and generally have been able to be rejuvenated during this time away from work. So, um yeah, basically the inverse of how anyone in Colombia is doing right now.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a rough uh day of Mizzou sports. Um Everything was kind of quiet for a few days, and then we got news today, so we're recording uh, Monday, December 27th, uh, this morning, that Consul Martin has tested positive for COVID, um, and it looks like the acting head coach, while uh, Martin is is out and away from the program with his positive test, will be assistant coach Cornell Mann. Uh, coach Korn has been with the program uh, since Martin was hired way back in twenty seventeen, um mm-hmm. all these years are running together, Matt. it's been that long. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man most well known uh, as talked about for his connections to the uh, state of Michigan, uh, which have not always worked out well for Missouri when it comes to recruiting there. Uh, but a guy that uh, has a really good reputation as far as you know being a a bit of a grinder being a, you know, a, an in program and, and sort of go-to guys as, uh, as an assistant coach. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on, on Cornell man, picking up the slack.
1: Um, Someone has to do it.
0: Um, <laughs> it's uh, so, so like the sec rules, uh, I believe, and this is all just going off memory. Um, the SEC has stated as long as there is one coaching staff member uh, who and is seven able to scholarship players, and seven scholarship players and you have to play the game uh sounds like that is the only person that is going to be missing uh, when Missouri takes on Kentucky and Lexington is going to be council Martin um yeah I didn't really set you up with a great question there man like I don't know how how to respond to Cornell Mann yay or nay um
1: you know, there, it's really a bake-off between him and Chris Hollander as to who's going to be – the guy's going to sit in the main chair. Marco Harris only moved into a, on-bench role a couple of seasons ago. Um, so it was really just a question of who you want to hand the ball off to there. Um, and, you know, Chris Hollander and Cornell Man both grinders, both, you know, sort of long-tenured assistants here, um, both have, you know, g- decent – you know, decently established track records at the mid-major and sort of at some high major stops. So it was either way. I think you would have been fine here. You know, I I'm not going to pretend to know what. You no know, tip the scales in Cornell man's favor at this point. You know, it's just you know neither. You know, I do think he's in context, paid. Uh, I I believe he and he and Hollander last to
0: check were sort of equal in pay grade, but. I thought, um, I thought man had the edge. Maybe he started with the edge, and and Hollander caught up.
1: I think that's how it worked. But, um, yeah, uh, this this I still feel like this is going to be a coach by committee type of situation here. Um, it'll definitely be different though because you won't hear uh, Zoe screaming down, down, down in some ball screen
0: coverages. So that's going to be different during broadcasts. Or, um, one of my favorite is hands. When yeah. it, when yeah. you know when you're closing out on on closeouts, yeah. you could always hear him yelling, "Hands, get your hands yeah. up, dummies." <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's when they were closing out, <laughs> which they didn't do at some point, at some junctures against Illinois. But this is, I think, I said before we recorded. This is just about endurance at this point, as in you just got to get through this stretch to get, you know, Martin back on the bench and sort of in that figurehead role. Um, it certainly doesn't help that you're going to have this unfold as your opening sec game comes at Lexington. Uh, so if, if it wasn't already about just sort of putting your head down and getting through that trip, um, this news only magnifies that sort of worldview even more, um, or makes that even more imperative. Um, but just, you know, this is the reality right now and, and sort of the, world that we continue to live in um and if you consider again in context where missouri is the program is not on pause i mean illinois um canceled its game against florida a&m on wednesday and looks like it's heading into some sort of pause shutdown how whatever adjective or modifier or descriptor you want to use it looks like they're probably in worse you know shape than what um the Illini are so if if it's just Martin being out for a certain I think though is it a week now that I think you have to sit well or is yeah it still so
0: CDC changed their their guidelines um if you're vaccinated now, and boosted it's a week that you it, that you have to basically quarantine it, it's it's they reduced it from 10 to 5 days
1: yeah yeah so yeah
0: so but It's less about what the CDC is recommending and what the conference is recommending because the SEC, I believe, uh, actually has some looser guidelines in place for, uh, you know, for how to kind of do. And my thought is basically they probably have in in place something like uh, if you're vaccinated, you're not going to be tested unless you have symptoms, at which point you will be tested. At, right. They will, so there may be they will perform testing, then do contact tracing, um, and you know if there are other positive tests that could potentially hold people out. Um, I think most there are different schools, and and this could pertain to Missouri. It could not. Uh, I I don't know what Missouri is abiding by, but there are different schools that are doing more regular testing. Um, right.
1: So that that's sort of the question is what happens with the testing and contact tracing from here on out. You know, had the you know, did Martin start feeling symptoms after the team broke for the holiday break and everyone went home? Did Martin you know, was the team separated and not in close contact? And then Martin, you know, felt symptomatic, received a PCR test, came back, and now is in the protocol, but the rest of the team because of its dispersal was not necessarily considered a close contact in that period. That's what I'm going to be interesting. Interested to see is does tomorrow bring any other news as far as who's going to be held out? And would that be from a close contact or because they tested positive? We don't know. I mean, these things are always sort of fluid, but as it stands right now, if Martin is only out and if you, if Missouri were to abide by the CDC guidelines of five days, you know, if you uh, today was day zero, that means, in theory, Martin could be back by the end of the week and maybe he only misses the Kentucky game. But if you went into a 10-day quarantine, you might be out longer. Um, but again, we'll have to see kind of what happens as it unfolds here. But if the worst case is that Martin just misses one game and it's Kentucky, and if we're completely honest here, that was a game, even under the best of circumstances, where Missouri was going to be you know, a steep underdog. <laughs> you are not really losing Martin for a game that has a ton of material value to Missouri's sort of you know season moving forward. It's unfortunate that it's happened, but in practical terms, would it have swayed the outcome? I'm not sure. As opposed to if you were missing a game, a home game against Ole Miss or AM or Georgia or some or one where, you know, you felt like that Missouri and this staff was gonna need it to kind of try and drag this season back toward respectability then you might feel that absence a little bit more i'm not sure this is a game where you're gonna feel martin's um absence any more than usual just because of just look at the rosters and that would probably tell you enough
0: yeah i mean i don't don't know that there was probably anybody who would have uh, picked missouri even before the season and we we you know sort of have seen maybe the worst version (laughs) Of Missouri and uh, and still, you know, projecting whether or not they could go into uh, Lexington and beat Kentucky, something that they have never done, uh, didn't seem likely, you know, at any point before the season. Um, no. How many times has Missouri played Kentucky, Matt?
1: I'm going to say probably at least they play him at least once a. Year. Once every year. So it, at least eight. I'm going to they say played, they've probably played them 11 they've times. They've played them
0: 15 times, dating oh. all the way back to uh, 1960.
1: Oh, I thought we were just doing since they moved to the SEC.
0: No, no, no. So uh, Missouri is two and 13 all time since they moved to the SEC, which was in 2013. Um, 2012, so 13. Yeah. Um, One win, I think. It was just one, two, three, four games before that. Uh 60, 71, 97, and 99. Uh, and then it every year since then, with a you know, a couple times where you had to double up. Uh, number of wins in rep arena. Zero. Zero. Um biggest margin of victory. Oh god, uh, it had to be
1: Kim's Kim's. One of the Kim years. Was it the first year they Kim, went Kim, there? Or
0: was it yeah? Kim's first year, they lost by 49. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The next year they played them decently. That was the Keanu Post Devin Booker block game. Yeah, um, yeah. most most fans may not remember a lot from that game, but they'll remember that highlight. Uh and then the next year they lost by 34 at Kentucky. Yeah. Um yeah. since then was they lost by 21. Um and that was in 2018. Uh, and then they lost by 12. Um, and that was in 2020. So not a terrible loss a couple of years ago, but overall, like Missouri just doesn't go into rep and win. Um, I'm expecting this game to be pretty ugly.
1: Yeah. Um, Illinois might've been a precursor of that. Um, at least from an interior perspective, um, you know, with extra, should we there? Um, I don't know how, at least I don't know how Missouri really plans on, on functioning offensively. One of their best, uh, modes of scoring is getting on the glass and, uh, big Oscar out rebounded Western Kentucky who had a seven foot five dude on its roster. So, um,
0: is that seven just, foot five
1: dude as good of a, uh, Jamarian and, Sharp's actually pretty mobile. And if you watch, I watched him against Louisville. He's, he is, um, a, he's like, I don't want to oversell what he is, but he's, he is more agile and laterally adept than Missouri's seven foot three guy.
0: Yeah. Anytime like you're dealing with a monster in the middle, like Missouri just met, uh, and, uh, Kofi, uh, Coburn. And uh, now you have to face again in Oscar Shibway. Uh It would be nice if you had um, basically like the best version of Jordan Wilmore, which uh, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to see.
1: Yeah, I just <laughs> this is not a, a a matchup in any. There's no point where you look anywhere at the potential starters or bench and say Missouri's got an inefficiency they can exploit here. It's going to require something completely out of the ordinary happening to even make this game um, close. Um, the Tigers have also really, really regressed in the last three games as the schedule's ramped up. I think like they're allowing 1.17 points per possession <laughs> over the last three games. So like if the hope here is that you're going to take a good defense into Rupp and do enough to slow this Kentucky team down and maybe give your team a chance to steal when the defense hasn't even held up to sort of that sort of level and to even entertain that idea. So this really is probably more about um, keeping the score respectable and moving on and trying to hopefully get your head coach back and, and move on to play Ole Miss, or not Ole Miss, but Mississippi State, where I think maybe Missouri, there's a, a situation in which, you know, they could try and, and pick that game up. But, you know, this one just feels like, put your head down, you know, do reputation maintenance, keep this thing from being a complete bludgeoning, and just try and and, and move forward, and and hope that, you know, there's there's a... Way to turn your luck around against Mississippi State.
0: I feel like this is where uh, Levi needs to insert the like sunshine lollipops, and... sunshine lollipops and rainbows. Everything that's it's gonna be like really difficult uh, if things keep trending because like you you brought up defensively uh, or the defense and you have a a film review piece coming out. Again, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, That will be posting uh, before the podcast actually gets posted on Tuesday. So uh, the film review piece will be available for you to read it online right now. Go read it. Um, But to me, this is the indication of like where this has all kind of gone wrong. Because where like before the season, when we were talking about kind of what potentially could work with this group. We were always more concerned about the offense. Like, how are they going to score? And yeah, scoring has been a challenge. Uh, but this is a bad defensive unit. And for a Council Martin coached basketball team, something he's built his reputation on and, and really early on was, you know, very, very good defensively. Uh, it has just not come together in any way, shape or form uh especially this season at Missouri because they're they're poor Yeah.
1: Um in that piece, which we'll probably have to hopefully pair it back, but if it doesn't get paired back, there there are 15 <laughs> cut Right
0: now it's like almost four thousand. Yeah, points. we're gonna so trim we're it out. But there are it, but.
1: if you were to watch the first 30 minutes of that basketball game, there are if you're using and again, our standards of what a breakdown is may not mirror the staff, but there are probably twenty possessions where you could raise an issue or you could like raise an objection say that that's a defensive breakdown. Illinois scored on 30 possessions. Like, so at least two out of three possessions just right there have a defensive breakdown of some sort. And we're not talking about like Illinois runs good offense, like Brad Underwood's, you know, we can talk about his personality or his persona or whatever, but the man runs good offense and puts you in binds, puts you in conflicts, whatever. And that's a good offense can force mistakes, but there are five plays where Mizzou does not adequately close out on a shooter. There are two or three plays where they just flat out lose track of them, of a guy coming off, you know, a series of pin downs. You know, it's, it's stuff that like, if you're a good defensive coach and you know, you're playing a good shooting team, you would expect your off-ball guards to know how to trail or lock and trail on a shooter, and Missouri didn't do it. Like, there are just things you see where you go, that's not scheme, that's just poor execution, or there are two plays where, you know, it's uh, Trent Frazier and Amari Davis goes under a ball screen. Like, that's not... a great scheme that's not remembering the scouting report and so there are just things like that where you watch it and you go you know this is not you know it's not something that you'd normally see out of a martin coach team like there are some plays you know where i thought illinois did a good job getting you know tweaking how it was getting kofi coburn post-ups and there were some mistakes in terms of how missouri like provided help but they were there was some nice diversity in you know how brad got him the ball but then there are some plays where it's just like that's that's not how you guard a ball screen that's not how you trail a shooter you know it's I think that that was probably more alarming to see that type of stuff than at the offensive end because we know this team has offensive struggles we know the personnel doesn't quite fit what it wants to do but if it's you know a third of the way through the season and you're seeing those kind of fundamental errors defensively which if you know Martin's reputation if those had happened before they were probably loudly pointed out in a film session and if they're persisting, it really makes you wonder about where this group's head is at, and as far as focus and as far as digesting what the scouts going to be, and that's, you know, even more of a concern given, you know, what awaits them over the next couple of weeks. So it, I think that's the the alarm bells were really going off watching them against the Illini last week on that end of the floor.
0: I think like. It's one thing if you're pointing out these kinds of defensive mistakes from somebody like yeah, Carbon Brazil or uh, you know Sean Dure, Gordon or Anton Brookshire guys. You you expect to you know have some rough patches defensively, but this is coming from veterans. Uh, you know guys who have been in the program for years. You know specifically like Javon Pickett and Kobe Brown have repeatedly made coverage errors and and you know mistakes that you know sort of may come across as like you know effort and intensity and stuff but they're just they're just like boneheaded defensive plays um you know and then you you come in with and one thing that we've certainly figured watching this so far is like like Jerron Coleman is just not a good defender um I think Amari Davis has the capability of being a terrific defender I mean he's 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 quick and uh you know, and moves his feet well, and he's got, you know, quick hands. And, um, so like, I feel like the foundation for all these things is, is there, you know, but even like Deshuan Gordon, who sort of had a reputation as being a really good defender has just sort of been okay. Um, and I think like when you look at like the, to me the biggest failing on this year was, and, and one of the things I think we even said kind of coming in was the preseason Kim-Pom ranking was sort of based upon the idea that like Consul Martin was going to field the worst defensive unit of his career and we just didn't think that was going to happen um maybe you did i i like i just i tend to look at a coach's history and and be like all right like Martin has certainly had some issues doing x y and z but but he's always kind of gotten this done and they've always been at least adequate defensively and this team is just not no and, at all and on that side of the i ball.
1: think the one thing you would say is like in and, and i'll point out in the pieces like early on in non-conference play martin's teams defensively post a negative you know they post a negative net rating but it's usually like one or two points per 100 possessions that's you know you don't want to have a negative net rating but you know sometimes that happens you know martin's track record has been at least to me as a sit and kick coach you know he's going to do enough to keep the game close and then he's going to hopefully try and out execute you but the defense is central to that it has to keep that margin narrow enough for the offense to you know make enough place to get a win missouri right now in you know i think a games against kim pom top 100 teams it has a minus 17 net rating it's 1700 it's 17 points for 100 possessions worse than those teams. I think it's also like giving up no it's and it's giving up like one point oh six points for possession. That's up there with the worst of Martin's tenure. Like it is fundamentally not keeping Missouri anywhere close to shouting distance against anyone with a pulse at this point. So like in the past I, I could understand people who say, you know, Martin plays uh you know Martin's approach is, you know, more reactive than proactive. And I would have agreed with that. I would have said, you know, he wants to defend. He wants to rebound. You know, he wants to make, a, he wants to win a lot of the little micro decisions in a game that, you know, narrow the talent gap. And then he's going to out execute you. And when he got to Missouri, the hope was okay, what happens if you give that guy superior talent? But this always baked in the idea that Martin was going to have a reliable, consistent defense that could execute a scouting report. And he does not have anything close to that right now, or at least that.
0: And he really has had that like every year, like even in year two where like things got ugly, they were 51st in adjusted defense. Like, right. They were actually better in his second year than they were in his third year. Um, as as far as like, you know, the ranking is concerned and like, and so like I think that's one of the things like right now they're you know 130th. Yeah. Um you know obviously I think there's still some you know baked in numbers on on that ranking. I like I would think that's probably like it's no. not going to get better um, as they you know they they face more consistent higher end teams uh and and are giving up you know if they if they continue to give up the amount of points that they have given up against the high major level of opponents, like it's going to sink and it it could potentially be like the worst. Uh, It will be the worst of Conzo Martin's uh, head coaching career, but it could be the worst that Missouri has seen. And that includes some really bad defensive teams. Well, the thing about the Kim Anderson teams
1: teams that, you know, it's, and I write this as sort of perverse, the offense wasn't great, but it was more productive than this offense. Kim's teams were, a sieve, though. And right now, this team's not, you know, approaching, you know, in terms of net rating, it's approaching Kim. And, and, you know, raw efficiency margin, it's it's firmly in the discussion right there. But as the, you know, buffering data from Kim Palm filters out, and if this run of form continues, it's going to be a worse defensive team than anyone, than what Kim Anderson fielded. And... You know, we, we talk about Zoe trying to preserve, you know, trying to save his job. A, a, a chief, a, a critical part of that is going to be, you know, we weren't good offensively, but we defended well enough and we were able to put together enough, you know, you know, improvement from a, a young group of guys that we should get a chance to run it back. But if the thing you're known for for collapses, the way it appears to you know, be tottering right now, it gets really hard. That, that's, there's not a sustainable argument there. Because Zoe's defensive approach is not, I think you would agree with me in saying this, it's not anything revolutionary schematically. I mean, they... They've, I mean, it's, they've,
0: it's hard to be revolutionary schematically when it comes to defense at this point. Like you're, Like, tactically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to be sound uh with with basic principles, and you can expand those principles in different ways, but overall the you know the goal kind of remains the same
1: but if I were to say but in that vein though, even though they switch a little bit more, even though they might trap a little bit more, there's still a gap based defense that still kind of wants to avoid straight line drives, they look to force contested jumpers and they send three to the glass
0: mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, the turnover rate that's gone up, I think, has probably gone up because they had Drew Smith and Kobe Brown, who he will allow to freelance sometimes. You know, you'd see Drew go for poke behind steals. You know, Kobe, you know, is pretty good at, you know, with some quick hands at times. But Missouri's defense is not schemed to be trapping a lot. It's not on the line, up the line, off the ball, you you know, not allowing reversals. The ball swings, teams run action. Missouri, you know, will occasionally, you know, trap out of it. They'll occasionally extend, but you can disagree, but I still fundamentally see a gap-based defense. They no, still they, force they, long, they, they force offer, long like, possessions and go to the glass.
0: Their, their, uh, their approach is to basically force contested jump shots uh, and, and go to the glass. Like, you know, they're not trying to, you know, and, and look, if, if a, offensive player makes a lazy pass and you can shoot the gap and and steal the ball. Like you're going to do that. And you can do that out of a, you know, a more sound gap defense. Um, but I think the thing that, that is a little, I don't know, interesting to me, you know, pack line, I think is, is one of the things that's really kind of taken hold of a lot of college programs. Uh, you know, pack line defense is, it's sort of like you know the approach that Tony Bennett uh, has taken. I think you know Missouri is, is certainly has some elements of pack line within their uh, defensive scheme. They're a little bit more of like an old school to sort of like you know sound man to man, uh, right. you know group. But but overall, like I think that the, the the premise of pack line is is you know where we're, we're going to make you uh, take long contested jumpers. And I think that's basically what Missouri is, is trying to do. And, you know, against a lot of teams in college basketball, like that's a pretty effective approach, but I find it interesting in that he, he sort of, he's, he's talked in the past about like this Florida state model. And they're like the opposite. They're like, uh, you know, how they don't
1: care if they give up a gap because they're going to send three long athletic dudes at you.
0: Well, like, and that's the thing is, is, is they're very on the line up the line. Uh, they're going to, they're going to pressure the ball. And, and I've always thought that like, I would rather have guys who can pressure the ball and guys that can, you know, force a ball handler to make a difficult pass under pressure as being a much more sound defensive approach than giving that guy like six feet to survey. Um, right so to your point like like, this is this uh, and i will always say like um you know like there's a million ways to skin a cat there's when it comes to college basketball offense defense there's all different kinds of ways that you can do it and be successful at what you do just work and be successful at what you're trying to, to accomplish and and i don't like whatever they're trying to do defensively is, is just not sound right now. Like they're, you know, it, it's, it just feels a little bit piecemeal. Like they're just, they're, they, they don't have the answer to the, uh, to the problem. And I, uh, you know, and, and maybe it's because they didn't recruit the right answer. Maybe it's that they're not coaching the right answer, but for whatever reason, it's that the communication breakdown is happening and, and they're just a bad defensive group.
1: Right. and, I was going to say, you know, it's hard for us you know that sitting in meetings to, you know, what coverages are going to get deployed and, you know, what do they want to do game to game? And it changes game to game. Um, but I think what's interesting though, is they've said they've wanted to recruit switchable athletes. And basically I think switch one to five here, which is, which is fine. That's what teams want to do now. You know, everything kind of filters down from the NBA imperfect as it might be for the college game. And it's, we want to switch everything. We want to play drop coverage, you know, all that kind of stuff that that's kind of filtered down. But it like when I watch Missouri in ball screen coverages, it's just like they, from action to act, like you might see the action three times in one game and how Missouri defends it is different every time. And the outcome is still the same. So it's just, it's hard for me to see what you no know, consistent principles hold here. Um, And if you're going to be switchable one to five, that's fine. Um, You know, but I would have thought and and, but Zoe has also talked about, you know, wanting to use that switch ability to extend his defense. And to me, I think when you talk about extending defense, you're talking about maybe being a little bit more assertive in your ball screen coverages, you know, not just switching, you know, not just playing drop, but maybe hard hedging, trapping, maybe being a little bit more assertive on the line, up the line to avoid that easy rotation and pass out of it. You don't see that though. It seems like they've gotten guys who kind of look like 1 through 5 guys, but they don't really get deployed that way and they still don't want to be risky, you know, away from the ball and give up that gap integrity, so it's just it, it seems like they're willing to do that up into a point. But it doesn't really work and it compromises some other areas that, you know, they've usually been pretty sound in like it used to be conzo Martin teams, you know, maybe they weren't always in position, but by God, they were going to close out on a shooter. And now there's not closeouts getting made, you know, Mark Smith was not always like the most athletic dude or bursty guy, but you know, Mark Smith, you know, same went for Drew Smith. Neither of those guys, you know, you'd say had burst or bounce, but they had enough good timing and enough athleticism to lock and trail shooters off the ball. They could do those things that sort of consistently enough that sort of offset, you know, what we might consider to be, you know, some athletic deficiencies or may, or maybe being average athletically. Right now, you see neither of those things. So I, I think that's that's been the hardest thing for me to accept is that what's been recruited isn't maybe being used the right way. It's being asked to do things the old way. It's And it's like you said, it just doesn't seem like there's a real clear conception of what this team wants to be defensively, and I think that matters because your defense and your offense have to complement one another. And if you're muddled defensively, you know, when you watch this team offensively, do you have a clear
0: conception of what they want to do?
1: It, it, well, I think well
0: it, yeah, I mean, like it, it's almost like uh, all the the things that sort of worked against Utah, they just you know didn't, didn't try, didn't try. Uh, against Illinois and and they you know they kind of went back to a lot of the same things, um, you know. But you know, I think you know conceptually, like it made sense to me in in the last few years for playing like drop coverage on on a ball screen because you had a center who was prone to foul trouble, and the more you get, you know, six eleven dudes uh, out on the perimeter and defending ball screens more likely they are to pick up a ticky tack foul just you know reaching for the ball or not not hedging you know right not sliding their up. feet well enough yeah so once they started you know moving Tillman into drop coverage on stuff I mean I just thought like that that's a much smarter way to kind of keep him on the floor uh, and you just sort of make it simple and then uh and then you. Essentially, like your your goal is to try to get over the you know the ball screen and and get on the hip of the shooter just to, so he can't pull up and and take a, a easy long range look. You yeah, have another one. i mean getting over screens. And well, yeah, and I, I'm just saying like like these are all things that they used to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and and maybe part of that is the fact that you know you just had a few really really good defenders because uh, like you watch. Javon Pickett and Kobe Brown, two guys have been in the program, who are you know arguably like even even at their best were pretty mediocre defenders, right? Um. Now you're like you've taken away Mark Smith, you've taken away Drew Smith, you've taken away Jeremiah Tillman, you know, and and Tillman maybe isn't a guy you want you know guarding ball screens twenty five feet from the basket, but you know fifteen feet and in he was a terrific defender. He's a really good rim protector. Um. And like so, those guys are gone. Uh, like Drew Buggs, I realized like for some reason, like fans just did not quite get why he was a valuable piece last year. But he was a good defender, also. Like he wasn't a great athlete, but he was he was sound defensively. He was a lot kind of like Mark Smith. Like he was going to be, it, uh, you know, there and move his feet and and kind of you know be in the way. Um, you know, Xavier Pinson was an awful defender. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like if you have three really good defenders in the floor and two really not good defenders, like you, you can still field a respectable defensive unit Missouri did. And, and so they basically took like all of the good, the good defensive players left. They had two mediocre defensive players and Kobe Brown, I think should be better than he is. Um, he's also often playing out of position. And I mean, having to defend. I mean, and this is like goes against like the things that we always sort of expected to to know about Zoe and his, his game planning was like their game planning was always really good. And the yeah, number of Coburn. times like Holy Kobe crap. Brown was caught on the backside of of, of Kofi Coburn, like I, I don't make him throw it over the top. <laughs> you can't allow a seven foot, three hundred pound, like built like he was just. You know, carved out a granite post player, a free catch on the block, especially with the way that they call the college game. And you're six seven. You know what's Kobe weight, like two fifty? Yeah. Like um, he's giving a, up. He's a strong dude, but he's not. He's not like Kofi. And and you easily get bullied in that situation. And, well, I think and the hardest part about that
1: well, it was. And Illinois figured out pretty quickly how to win. Like early on, Illinois kept trying to like scheme post touches, just straight entry plays. That didn't work, so they'd reverse it. They'd go into a chase action, get a shooter open, and just bury Mizzou from deep. But what they figured out was lift Kofi, pull Kofi out, have him set. Like they'd put you know it in a they'd put it in a weave action or a ball screen action. Kofi would Kofi would set a screen, and it would be such that. Kobe would have to jump out and hedge that ball screen because Missouri can't, Missouri's guards bungle the switch. (laughs) And now and now you've got Kofi diving to the block with nobody there, and now you've got to have Kobe Brown not only hedge, but now recover back, try and fight with Kofi on the block. And that's a losing battle, so he's like, okay, I'm just going to get backside of him. That's how Kofi would get the high side. And then the worst part on that is Missouri applied zero ball pressure. Absolutely no ball pressure. Like the number of times that like Illinois is able to come off a handoff or off a screen. And like there were two instances where Jerron Coleman's six feet back, not applying any pressure. Kofi's got a deep seal. And Jacob Grandison just goes, okay, yeah, throw a one handed bounce pass into the block. Bucket. It didn't matter where, where you sent help from, you no know, anything else because Kofi had been able to beat the man to the spot, establish position, and there's no ball pressure. Like, and that happened repeatedly. The only time it changed was when Missouri decided to press and extend its defense, and then it never went back to that. It, you know, it, you know, the coming out of halftime didn't see it again. Didn't see any effort to really ramp up the pressure, make Illinois play faster. Bleed clock, anything like that. But the initial scout on Coburn, they got it right for the first couple of minutes. It only came out of the first media timeout, and Brad unlocked it and ran action that lifted Missouri, had Kofi dive to an open, you know, restricted area, and then just ate him alive. So it, the scout just seemed completely off. And I, I think that's that's also been just really jarring to see. Normally they have the scout. They've traditionally had really good scouts and maybe teams have figured it out, but it was just completely off base for what it needed to be. Um, and I don't know what they do moving forward, how much of it they can tweak schematically versus just embracing what this group is personnel wise, but it's, it's, uh it's not good. And if the defense, keeps trending this way um it's gonna get really 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 ugly um really, really 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 quickly and in our from where it already is
0: yeah i just i i think that's sort of like the most puzzling thing for me is is they just they can't seem to get you know the right fix in defensively to get this team you know righted in some degree uh and it's it's why it's like really difficult to see like things getting better you know like last week we were we were here kind of talking about like Missouri maybe finding a blueprint uh that they could use but I think you know I think a lot of that was like all right so here are the things that they sort of were able to fix offensively but they were still pretty poor defensive like Utah it's not a great they still put a 0 point nine seven points and, per yeah, possession. like they they scored a lot they scored freely um
1: what hurt what hurt them like in a points per, like their points per shot was like one point one or one point two Illinois oh, not Illinois but Utah turned the ball over. They lost yeah. the possession battle. If Illinois, you know, if Utah values the ball even just a little bit better, Missouri loses that game. You know, it was it wasn't that Missouri, you know, stifled them. It was, you know, almost non, you know, steal turnovers that hurt them. And you know, a- as we move forward, it's just it's really hard to see what the remedy is here for this group. I just don't, I just don't know what they're going to be able to do to, to, to fix it at this point. You know, you are what you are after 10 or 11 or 12 games. It's, you know, we'll see, you know, we're going to keep monitoring it, but
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, so, you know, here in a few days, I'm, gonna start putting together like what we all want to see from mizzou basketball in 2022 and i know that there's a significant portion of the fan base who's like probably ready to you know cut ties um and move on i you know i never want to be in a place where i'm like calling for a coach's job like i just don't think that i want to be the type of person who's like this guy should be fired you know, in Kim Anderson's last year, like we all knew it was going to happen, you know. But I never wanted to be the one out there, like, yeah, like I think Kim should be fired. Like, at some point, it becomes obvious that something isn't working. Um, and while I don't necessarily think like this is not the same situation that Kim Anderson was in, Kim Anderson was atrocious for three years in a row, like. Less than a year ago, Missouri was ranked 10th in the country. So obviously, like things have not gone as planned since then. Which is why, like, I'm also never gonna be the person, especially that I can tell the end of the season until you know uh Reed Francois has to make the decision to say that I think Conzo should be fired. Because I don't know that. But what I do know is that in 2022, this program needs a new direction. Whether or not that's Conzo Martin at the helm or another coach at the helm, a new direction has to be found because what they've chosen to do this year is not the right direction. Now, you and I have talked in the past, we like pieces. There are things on the roster currently that you like. And, and I think there is enough there that you can... You can rebuild a good team pretty quickly, but not with what they're doing, not with the approach that they've had, and not with the offensive pro- approach, not with the defensive approach. So you need a new direction. What is it that Council Martin wants this program to be? Um, you know, we can we can go on and on again about, you know, like the things that they're they're screwing up and they're screwing up a lot. But in the end, like what's gonna decide whether or not, you know, like Martin is able to save his job or not is is if he can clearly define what he wants this program to be. Because I thought going into the season, we had a much clearer idea of what he was wanting the program to be. And I don't see any evidence of that from what he was building at the roster and what the product is in the floor. There's no connection.
1: And this is and we've talked about it, but I think the question that I have at the end of the day is is Martin capable of a radical reinvention? And that require you know, we could in the near term, it could be, you know, doing what our buddy Matt Watkins has suggested. Selling out and, you know, trying to press, trying to extend defense, trying to you know, if you're not going to win in the half court, can you find ways to, you know, create terms, create transition, you know, be more assertive that way? You know, is, is it going to require radically reconsidering what this roster does well in the near term? So what you're saying, it's going to require, even if he, you know, and I, you, know, you have to consider that before you even go in to meet with Desiree Reed rantois of what this program is is going to look like moving forward. Your ideas about basketball, your ideas about roster construction. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, about how you've even you know, put the pieces around you to help you with that. You know, the people who are going to supply you with ideas, the people who are going to, you know, help you evaluate whether the implementation of those ideas is going well or not it's going to require radically potentially reconsidering everything you want to do. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, we point to man, Matt painter at Purdue was up against it, you know, seven, eight years ago, but managed to, you know, redefine his program. You know, Jay Wright was at a tipping point, Leonard Hamilton's. But the thing you could say with all those guys is they had a clear conception of what they were doing. They made changes and they overhauled it, but, the concept was always there in their minds, but they were also, I think, willing to ditch some things. You know, I I read that Matt Painter, you know, used to have like seven, eight plays in his playbook. Now he's got one with 120. You know, he you know, he used to have a clear conception of how he wanted his team to play. Now he changes it to the roster. You know, maybe it's not even just a, you know, we talk all the time about scheme and everything, but just a sense of how you view a roster and how you view a stylistic approach. You know, and what what are you willing to let go of, you know, to to make that happen? You know, I think you and I talk all the time about, you know, what's, you know, you know what's not changeable or, or you know immutable under Zoe, and you know, I think it's it's clear that he's got some loyalties and some tendencies, you know, that maybe hinder him at times. In some ways, they they are really really great to have, but in others, I think they. They sort of maybe act as a block or as, you know, an obstacle that he's got that he places in his own way. And if you're going to recognize that and, and change that and, and find people who will challenge you and help you find solutions and evolve. That's good, but, the, but you have to be open to that. And, you know, Zoe seems incredibly intelligent, incredibly thoughtful. But is he going to be willing to compromise some of those facets? I don't know. But I but I agree that as he goes into twenty twenty two, the the impetus is clear. He's got to do it, or you know,
0: some, yeah, something has to change in his approach. Um, there are a lot of things that are really really likable about, likable about Consul Martin, but you know, to this point, you know, now we are in his fifth year and you know like we, we kind of talked like the recruiting misses have kind of piled up a little bit the talent level isn't what we were kind of hoping it would be um, and I you know so how is it that you want to play what is it that you're trying to accomplish on offense what is it that you're trying to accomplish on defense what do you want the image of the program to be and if he can you know if he can articulate that to the ad there's a reasonable reason to think that he could be back but at some point you also have to see the evidence and, and i think like that's again like we, all off season you saw the pieces kind of being put into place you're like okay i i don't know if this is going to work but i kind of see what they're going for and then you watch the product on the court and it's not at all what what it it was supposed to look like, you know, when you saw him putting these pieces together, and, and I, I think like that's that's sort of where, um, you know, where I'm at, and where well, I mean, realistically we're going to have to, you know, sit sit through the next couple months of watching this, you know, before we have a real clear answer, and um, I don't know, like I think Kentucky's going to get ugly, uh, that you know, I, I think they. So, they get
1: they get Mississippi State at home. They get Alabama at home.
0: Mississippi State is is a week after Kentucky, right? Yeah, week after Kentucky.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, both home games. Um. You know,
0: let's, let's wrap this. Up. I don't. I mean, I yeah. don't know that we need to say much more. Do you have anything else like you really want to get off your your chest? It's...
1: No, just I. <laughs> there's if you're. There's a t- you can do what you can do in the season can hint that you're open to searching for solutions and radical changes that can be made because what's working, what you've intended to do isn't working. And, you know. We've seen some changes around the periphery, but nothing that sort of indicates to me that. At least in terms of how they're going about game planning, in terms of how going about organizing a team or organizing an approach to basketball, that there's a radical overhaul here. And then there are comments after Zoe's game like, I like where we're going. we just got to stay the course. None of that indicates to me that at least outwardly, and you know, it's not Zoe's job to, you know, tell us all the inner workings and innermost feelings of the program, but none of that really projects a program that sorts of, that seems to understand that the a lot of like we said a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago that all the alarm bells are going off Mm -hmm. and maybe you don't want to project that publicly you don't want to project that panic it doesn't do anybody well here but you want to if your behavior is supposed to indicate you know that there's change coming that you're looking for solutions we haven't really seen it and so just moving ahead it it's an open question to me as to whether or not they're going to be able to or be willing to take radical steps or or try, you know, what might seem radical or harebrained to try and find answers here. If they're just going to put their head down and muddle through and keep doing what they're doing, I don't know if that merits you giving them a second crack at trying to fix it. So that's that's just where my head's at at this point
0: okay um, you and I are done here uh, we'll be back next week I think we're gonna maybe have uh, a friend on the podcast next week because I'm sure at this point uh, you and I have said all we need to say I don't really think we're gonna have any new and, and different uh, results um, by next week so I think a, a new voice will will help help the podcast along a little bit um, until then uh You can follow Matt on Twitter. He is uh, at MattJHarris85. You can follow me at Sam Snelling. Please like and subscribe the podcast. Uh, You can find it anywhere you would normally find podcasts. If you subscribe, it'll just beam directly to your device and all that kind of fun stuff. You can listen to us right away. Um, That's it, man. Uh, I hope you're listening to Before the Box. We're also those guys doing a good job. Um, Nate is apparently getting into a... Uh a night ham. Uh so that's a whole lot thing that's happening tonight. Uh and I'm gonna go get into some whiskey, Matt, because it's that's what you do? It's 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 been a thing and I'm I'm, I'm ready to do it. Uh so for, for Matt I'm Sam. Uh we'll be back next week. And until then, thanks for coming in.